It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, we're taking the podcast on the road this season, and we want you to come with us. We're heading to Tampa, we're heading to Nashville, we're heading to New Orleans, and maybe a couple other surprises. Thanks to fansofphilly.com, that's P-H-A-N-S, fansofphilly.com. They put all the packages together for us, and we're going to hit the road. Set it and forget it. Four-star hotels, direct flights, tickets to the game, tailgates, pregame festivities, and can be a part of our show's as we're there the whole weekend, wherever we are going. Fansofphilly.com. Make sure you use the code BGN so we all stick together and come have fun with us as we cheer on our Super Bowl champion, Philadelphia Eagles, and take over every stadium that we are in this season. Fansofphilly.com. Promo code BGN. Michael Kiss. Hey, somebody has run out on the field. Some goofball in a hand. And Benjamin Solak. I know it's a big night when he asked for honey. He said he wants honey. It's the Kissed and Solak Show. I love those guys. Right here on BGN Radio. You are flying high on the Kissed and Solak Show. This is episode 38, brought to you by the fine folks at BGN Radio. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my work for InsideThePylon.com, BleedingGreenNation.com. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. As always, I'm joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Seven-Year Streak, about to be eight years without a bad day. He is Benjamin Solak of Bleeding Green Nation, and NDTScouting.com is where you can find his excellent draft coverage. Follow him on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak, that's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Oh, every day is a good day to be alive, Mike, especially because it is National Holiday, Rose the Giants Day. Yes. Pent-up frustration. We just save it and we wait until we get to talk about the Giants on a podcast. And then we just empty all of our bad feelings into the Giants because their roster is Buckus and it's fun. So this is going to be an eye of the enemy show. We are going to be focusing on the New York Giants. We've already done the Washington Redskins. We did that on the last episode, episode 37. And then episode 36 was the Dallas Cowboys, where we take a look at their outlook for the 2018 season. Ben, before we get to that, some related news in the NFC East. As you know, though, there are few things that I despise more than rankings, especially with quarterbacks. And we've been over this 
many, many times in the past, uh, especially with the MVP debates. And for those of you who have not been with Ben and I for a while, or at least through the 2017 season, I pretty much abstain from that nonsense because I couldn't care less about rankings. More about the success of a quarterback, what he can bring to a team, regardless of outside circumstances, less about awards, more about winning. Uh, so that's where I stand on that. But Ben, I got to say, Lewis Riddick of ESPN. Newly minted, fresh contract extension, Lewis Riddick. Shout out. Yeah, congratulations to him. Get paid, brother. Uh, he's also a fellow Scouting Academy alum, so I love where he's coming from. He recently put out his top five NFC East quarterbacks coming into the season. I got to say, Ben, I think our listeners are going to like the way that this list is set up. So let's go over it. Number one, Carson Wentz, of course. Is there any Easy. question? Yeah, exactly. Nah, After exactly. a whole summer of Wentz versus Dak debates, it's it's obvious now. Number two, Alex Smith of the Washington Redskins. Bold take. I like yeah, it. We talked about Alex. That'll be the one that the listeners don't like. Like, everything else is great news, but we'll still just get upset about Smith being two. Exactly. Number three, and here's where it comes in, Nick Foles. Number three, best quarterback. I mean, can't really argue with it. Number four, this is finally where Dak comes off the board or comes onto the board here in the rankings. Number four, Dak Prescott. Number five, Eli Manning. So the Eagles have two of the top three quarterbacks in the NFC East, according to Lewis Riddick. I, for one, love it. I think you can actually make the argument. I, th- I don't actually, I don't think it's an argument. I think it's more of a long term thing with this. But Wentz, Smith, and Foles all had better seasons than Dak Prescott and Eli Manning last year. I don't think that's the question. I think the question is more the long-term prospect. All right, here's what I think it is. I think it's, if you think Wentz is anywhere but one, you're drinking. Right. If you think Eli is anywhere but five, you're smoking. Correct. Two, three, four, you could convince me really to put anybody anywhere, to be very frank with you. I think if those three quarterbacks, you know, if, if Full started for 16 games, Alex started for 16 games, and Dak started for 16 games, it would be difficult to figure out who was going to have the best week, week in, week out. You know what I mean? I right. feel like that's a good deal of parity there. I think that, yeah, like you said, if we're talking about I want to win with a team this year, then Alex Smith is going to take a bit of precedence for me. Whereas uh, if I want a, a player who I can have in my building for 10 years, then, you know, Dak gets the edge there because he's younger and he's got more more to learn, more to grow. It is worthy of noting we were we are one offseason removed from Dak being very much in the conversation for being better than a player who went 110, 120-some picks before him. Yeah. I think it was less than that, around 100, whatever. Acknowledging that is simply to say that we're very much basking in the glow of the Eagles Super Bowl, and, you know, Dallas didn't even make the playoffs, and that makes things all the sweeter. Dak having a bad sophomore campaign, we should still reckon, we should still acknowledge that in the light of his stellar freshman campaign. And, you know, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, which, right. you know, like that, that, that isn't a, a logical stretch by any, by any means. And so I think four is a little aggressive for him. I think like it, it feels wrong. But then I look at Foles and I look at Smith and I say, but yeah, maybe, you know, either way, the, the fact of the matter is that two, three, four, it's splitting hairs to me at that point. Yeah, and Riddick did follow up uh, and say that a lot of the Foles ranking has to do with the situation that he's in. Philadelphia being that situation for him, 
mm-hmm. Dak being stuck in the Dallas and the city. He didn't say Dak's situation, but we know what Dak's situation is in Dallas with the lack of offensive minds that they have there. So obviously that's that brings a little more context to the situation. I don't care about context in this situation. I don't care about context and rankings because I think rankings are stupid, but I did have fun with this one. So I did want to talk about it. And I thought it was a good segue to lead into the eye on the enemy segment with the New York Giants. Because Is it ben, even? Can we even call the Giants an enemy? More like eye on your little brother who thinks he's a big deal. Yeah, they're really not a rival if they can't beat you, right? Yeah, I just, you know, we looked we looked at the schedule for the Giants before the oh show, God. Mike. Okay, I legitimately circled four games I think they have a chance of winning, which means right. 12 I think they've already lost. And the entire yep. schedule, the first nine games of the season, they're not going to win. Yeah. Oh, barring like significant injury, I could say the first seven. I mean, they open they open against the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're going to eat them alive, and then after that, they've got very strong teams. After that, they don't get a break until yeah. they get to like week oh. eight against the Washington Redskins. Who who knows what type of team they're going to be by week eight? The total wild card in the bunch, and that's like the one right. game that they maybe could win. And then after that, it's like Tampa Bay, like we were talking about earlier, which another high variance team could be one thing, could be another one. A lot of it depends on coaching. So right, it's home against the Jaguars, and then it's away against the Cowboys week two. Which you could convince me that they can hold pace with the Cowboys, but on the road in week two, I'm saying no. With the amount of yeah. rookies that they're going to be starting on that roster, new coaching staff, no. At Texans, if if Watson, Watt, and Clowney, and Merciless, and everybody is still healthy Forget by week three, it. which, God willing, they're still healthy at week three game. Uh, Homie Saints done. At the Panthers, I feel like the Panthers are going to be... Like, the Panthers could implode. The Panthers could always implode. That's always a thing the Panthers could do. But I feel like Panthers are clearly a better team there, and they're at home. Then it's home against the Eagles, at the Falcons. Those are two very clear losses. Home against the Redskins. That's right. They're 0-7 at this point, Mike. Right. Home against the Redskins, maybe they win out of desperation, right? Because they're 0-7 at this point. But then it's at the 49ers. We don't think they're winning that. And then, like you said, Buccaneers. And then they have the Eagles. They have the Bears. They have the Titans, Colts, Redskins. (laughs) They have some, like, you know, fledgling teams, teams that are growing up as far as, like, the Bears and the Titans go. The Colts are pretty bad. But really, like, Buccaneers, Colts. Redskins once, Cowboys once. Four wins. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. And we're, and I have a very important over-under for you at the end of the segment concerning that because last year they started 0-5. And, and when you know Eli got benched, they were 2-9. and So we're going to talk about that. But first, we're going to talk about why we are so sold on the fact that the Giants are not going to be able to make an impact this year, that they're going to be t- picking in the top five again. And, of course... We, we always talk quarterback first. Let's do that. The lifeblood of any franchise, the quarterback position, the most important position in the game. And of course, the New York Giants have one that really only seems to be valued inside of New York right now. Now, that being the active leader in career interceptions with 228. My man, Eli Manning. Shout out, Eli. <laughs> uh, quite an accomplishment. Eli, Eli had a season. And, and for the following rundown uh, about what type of year he had, please bear with me. This is going to take a moment to get through all of it. Just take for granted that all of these stats exclude his rookie season way back in 2004 because he was a rookie and also he only started seven games. All right. I love it when you open a paragraph with this is going to take a second because I know whatever comes next is just like <laughs> devastating. So here is the 2017 season for Eli Manning. 
lowest yards total since 2008. Had only his second season with under 20 touchdowns, both of which coming in the last five years, go figure. Tied his lowest touchdown percentage. The other 3.3% season was within the last five years. Imagine that. He had the lowest yards per attempt with 6.1, only to be bettered by Joe Flacco and Brent Hundley, neither of which will end this season as starters. Hashtag Lamar Hive. Eli had the least yards per completion in his career. His worst yards per game since 2008. His worst QBR since they started recording QBR in 2006. And the old man took the second most sacks in his career with 31. Only bested by, get this, a season within the last five years where he took a robust 39 sacks. This is despite him having, historically, in the last five years, the quickest time to throw in the NFL. And finally, he had his third worst season of fumbles with 11. He hadn't done that since way back, oh, in 2015, actually. That was in in the last five years. (laughs) But wait... There is more. I'm not done. Eli had his second lowest big time throw percentage in his career, which ranked 34th out of 41. Again, big time throws are what Pro Football Focus defines as accurate throws in tough windows down the field. Carson Wentz is very good at that, by the way. Out of 41 quarterbacks, Pro Football Focus had Eli ranking 27th in turnover-worthy throws, 20th in adjusted completion percentage, 32nd from a clean pocket, which is likely due to him having the fourth most interceptions from a clean pocket. Speaking of which, with no extra blitzers, he had 5.9 yards per attempt, second worst, and 16 turnover-worthy throws when clean, second worst, 33rd under pressure, 18th on third down. 37th on deep balls. Nobody had a quicker time to throw or quicker time to sack, which is a very odd stat that explains how he took 31 sacks despite holding on to the ball for over 2.6 seconds, less than any other quarterback in the league. He ended the longest active start streak when he was benched. After the Giants started the season with two wins and nine losses, he was replaced by the incredible Geno Smith and not Davis Webb, reportedly because the organization didn't want to give the impression that they were trying to replace him with the rookie. Isn't that cute? On the plus side, on the plus side, Ben, he graded as PFF's third best quarterback in the red zone with 14 touchdowns on 45 throws and no interceptions. It is noteworthy. Is that the only note? Is that like on the plus side and then it's just that stat? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the only one. Oh, no. It is noteworthy, Ben. However that the Giants are second worst in the league over the last three years in turnover percentage in the red zone because Eli's ball security is hot garbage. But hey, Eli didn't get a whole lot of help, right? Mm -hmm. He suffered from 43 drops on the season and had the most out of any quarterback on third down. Surely, surely that's enough to wipe out all the bad and surely that's enough to justify taking a running back with the second overall pick because stats are for nerds and losers even when the film matches the numbers. But hey, even if it's not, they draft Davis Webb and Kyle Laletta. And why draft a quarterback at two overall when you can draft literally any quarterback left on the scrap heap later on? Right, Ben? Okay, well, don't 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 you throw Kyle Laletta on the scrap heap. I like Laletta. I think he's going to be good. And I think Shermer, the head coach, is a good head coach for him. That being said, I 100% forgot Geno Smith was a thing. Yeah. And then you said that again, and I could barely contain myself. Like, imagine... Being benched for a second, like being like a, like a story, two-time Super Bowl winning quarterback, uh, and, and and you've been a Super Bowl MVP, and you've had the longest active streak of starts in the NFL, and you get benched. Imagine how crushing that must be. And then imagine the person for whom you got benched is Geno Smith. <laughs> like, I actually think it's better if it would have been Davis Webb rather than Geno Smith. We don't know what Davis Webb is. 
We know what Geno right. Smith is. No, because because benching for Davis Webb says, listen, we have to start planning for the future because you're old. <laughs> benching for Geno Smith says, listen, maybe Geno Smith can play better than you. <laughs> I can't say the sentence, right? Because that's not a future. It's, it's not, not like I, I don't really think the Giants. Maybe they did. Maybe they're like maybe Geno can be our. If they thought that, then they're drunker than we even. They were think basically they are. like, uh, okay. Eli, man, we don't have a plan. This sucks. Yeah. So, so take the Gino week off, Smith kid. is our solution. <laughs> yeah. Listen, here's my my favorite Eli stat is this, and this is more so when we start bickering about whether or not Eli goes to the Hall of Fame, because that's a very common conversation. And I acknowledge that two Super Bowl victories likely uh, sends you straight to the Hall of Fame, especially both of them against the Patriots. I get that. Uh, the other four years that. Eli Manning went to the playoffs. He was zero and four. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're, we're yes. So we're talking and his intercept pass interception like first year he was in the playoffs. He went like zero touchdowns, three interceptions in the first game or something like that. And then yeah, next one was two touchdowns, one interception, zero to two, one to one. So yeah, he was a two a three to seven touchdown interception ratio in four playoff games. He went over four, and then two seasons he was able to make it to the Super Bowl, which we won't even begin to talk about the defenses that he had on yeah. those rides to the Super Bowl. But regardless, Eli Manning, 38, he'll be turning during this season. And I get that, like, Brady is 40. I understand that. And I get that Peyton was, like, winning Super Bowls when he was this age. But they even we acknowledged that, but even we acknowledged that, like, Peyton was getting bad. Yeah. Right. And the entire thing about Brady is that he's aberrative. Like, there's no reason to be basing anything off of your 38 year old quarterback. And Dave Gettleman based the entire draft off of him. Yeah. And I do not see a timeline where that does not blow up in his face. Like, 100% Ben Solak stamp guaranteed. That's going to suck for the Giants. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's no other way. Ben, they had the they had the best injury luck from 2013 to 2015. They made the playoffs once in the last five years. This is not a team that's been like knocking on the door, not even close to it. How are you not rebuilding? How are you saying this is okay? Look at the roster. I've been looking at the roster all day, going, how is this a thing? I stopped looking at the roster. I didn't want to look. No, no, no. Okay, last time they won the division was 2011. That was a yep. Super Bowl victory. Yep. They haven't won the division. Redskins have won it twice. Cowboys have won it twice. Eagles have won it twice. They're going to win it three times because they're going to win it this year. Thus breaking the streak of non-consecutive division wins that they last established in 3 4 But anyway, they haven't won the division since 2011. I didn't realize they've been so bad over the past five years. Extremely bad. They were they, when they had the best injury luck from 2013 to 2015. They were six and ten, six and ten, and seven and nine. This roster has not been good, bro. And what's amazing, they've had the same issues for the past five years. Right. Too. They haven't. They have. They have, they have not the been able game? to set. No. Once, like Tuck and Yuman Yura got old, there was no edge pressure, and Olivier Vernon, and then JPP like helped for one season, and right. then he fell off the cliff. That's number one. Number two, right? You said the run game, and I would say just the offensive line in general. Like they've had yep. bad offensive tackle play for five years, and then interior offensive line play was kind of decent, but it's just been deteriorating because their good players got old and then retired. Boom. And then thirdly, they have no linebackers, and they have right. never had any linebackers. And right. linebackers are devalued. I get that, but they have had no linebackers. You can't cover any running backs in space. You can't bump any tight ends off the line. Nothing. Is just solely trying to play with seven defenders on the field, and it's been garbage. And yeah. if you go and, and you take a look at who they drafted, 
So they brought in a running back. All right, sweet. They brought in an offensive guard. Okay, excellent. And then they brought in like two defensive tackles. Why? Yeah. You have no... Let's see. They're, they have Olivier Vernon on the edge, and then opposite him is whom? Kareem. They have Kareem Martin. They have Kareem Martin and Kerry Wynn right now opposite of... <laughs> you have Lorenzo Carter play a base, base no. end? No. He's like what? He's 250, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you you can line him up, you know, in a in a two point stance on on pass rush downs, exactly. but you're gonna have a lot of trouble putting his hand in the dirt. And I don't know, especially if you want to use him in the way that you were using like Vernon and Pierre Paul, because those were big strong ends. And then you go and you trade for Alec Ogletree, which you might fool yourself into thinking that makes your linebacking core better, but get this, <laughs> it doesn't. Because Alec Ogletree is really bad. He's fast, and sometimes he tackles. And, and and he'll probably be an improvement in coverage simply because BJ Goodson and Mark Herzlick are actual, like, tree stumps. Uh, so, like, you'll have to show him a moving body out there now, but he's not good in coverage for, like, a small moving linebacker. He isn't. He simply is not. And then your defensive backfield, which I fully expected them to do something with. Like, when coming into the draft, it was, oh, Darian Thompson, we're not sure if he's going to be our long-term guy at free safety, and maybe we're going to move Dominic rogers Camardi there. They cut DRC. He's gone. Darian Thompson is still remains the free safety. They did nothing to address that position. You've had the most ridiculous hijinks and foolishness with Eli Apple, and he's still your starting outside corner. He's also been garbage. And then you did nothing to replace right. Roger Camardi on the but outside. They've got that kid from look, Tennessee look, now. Look at that whole picture of, of of that back end, and you look at Eli Apple is projected as a starter on this team. Thirty three year old William Gay may see significant time on the field, but, but let me go back. Eli Apple, the worst Eli on this team somehow after his suspensions and, and, and like getting kicked from the locker room or leaving the locker room and not coming back and, and all the nonsense surrounding him on social media with him and Landon Collins is projected as a starter on this team. And not only is he a head case in the locker room, a locker room cancer, he's not good at football, Ben. And, and what am I missing here? Because this has the potential to get even uglier than it was last season. And you look at the depth behind him like you were alluding to. Dante Dayon, who was a 2016 undrafted free agent, and he's 5'9 with 165 pounds soaking wet holding two center blocks. A gay, as I mentioned, is 33. Who is Riley Curtis? Who is Teddy Williams? I know who B.W. Webb is. I know who Grant Haley is, but they might be better off if I didn't know who they were because they're not good. Landon Collins and Darian Thompson can only do so much on the back end and with zero pass rush behind you because Olivier Vernon was not consistent last year and it's kind of being swept under the rug and not talked about because they paid him roughly mm. two and a half. Olivier Vernon yeah. is not, not he's inconsistent. He's not a good right. passer. He wasn't last year at, at all and they paid him two and a half million dollars per sack. When he made bank coming out of Miami, it was entirely effort rushes, which Correct. being an effort player it's is not great. sustainable. It's not sustainable, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I just want to really quick acknowledge how great it is that you said who is Riley Curtis talking about their current starting outside corner because his name is Curtis Riley. <laughs> and if that just doesn't tell you, he was like a, he was like a seventh round pick in 2015 so or something. This. He's not Tennessee, good. Tennessee had a need at quarterback. Tennessee got rid of him and then fixed their cornerbacks. Think about that. Here's what's important. to but But Mike, we're missing a very key point, which is – Dave Gettleman drafted two defensive tackles to ride the yeah. bench behind Dalvin Tomlinson and Demont Harrison. And probably 
even behind the 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 you know like Josh Morrow. Josh Morrow is right. not terrible. He'll probably beat out like R.J. McIntosh out of Miami. He spent a third and a fifth on B.J. Hill and R.J. McIntosh. Which, like, if you had to pick one of, like, we, we define, like, the five areas of defense, like, interior defensive line, edge, linebacker, corner, and safety, you say, what's the strongest aspect of the Giants roster on defense? Unquestionably, it would be safety, because it's the only, or uh, it would unquestionably be interior defensive line, because it's the only place they have two yep. starters, they have Tomlinson and, and they have Harrison. They're, they're not getting anything out of, they didn't get anything out of them last year, and Stacks is good, bro. Like, like, look at this crap. 25th first the run, according to Football Outsiders DVOA, for a defense that on paper should be stout, at least in the interior. They were actually pretty decent inside, okay? Only 3.6 yards per carry allowed from B-gap to B-gap. It's the outside runs right, that killed Right, but them. it was huge yeah. outside. Do you want to know why it was huge? Because their linebackers exactly. can't move. And it, when you look at it, so teams tried to run tackle to tackle on the Giants. They, they did it 431 times, 20 runs of 10 yards or more. That's 4%. Now compare that outside of the tackles because the linebackers can't play. 5.3 yards per carry on 122 attempts, 21 runs for 10 yards or more. That's 17%. So yeah, that's great. The Giants are stout when you run at snacks. Awesome. But they're an explosive play waiting to happen when you avoid them. And let's be honest, the Eagles right. are just going to run around them and also trap them because they're the mo- they run the most traps in the league and they're freaking smart and they're not going to run right into the teeth of a freaking defense. There is no one else around. This defense, this defense is one injury away from complete catastrophic failure and it may be anyway because you look at the depth everywhere on that defense the only place it is it's a bunch of youth at defensive tackle and it didn't matter anyway they sucked against the run even with snacks and dalvin tomlinson why why Alex Ogletree's not right. going to fix because that because you, you don't have the entirety of a front seven you don't even have overhanger field defenders you have landon yeah. collins who's trying to make tackles all across the field from strong safety. And yes, we, we talked about Ogletree, and Ogletree has range, and that's going to help. But Ogletree is not a good right. tackler. So he can get there, but he's not going to do anything when he's there. And then one of the main responsibilities we talk about uh, outside runs is your corners need to come up and be forced defenders. And that's one thing Eli Apple never did yep. in college, and he was drafted 10th overall Apple. otherwise. Even from Ohio State, which usually those Ohio State corners are good at that, and he was not good, and he doesn't do it now. And then uh, DRC never, ever, ever did it in his entire career. Like, he would, like, come up and hit you, but he was not interested in, like, blocking and, like, setting an edge or anything. So, I don't know. Maybe Curtis Riley is better at this. Maybe that's the whole plan. He's going to limit the outside runs. Riley Curtis? And then you have (laughs) Curtis – yeah, exactly. We haven't talked about Janoris Jenkins, and we should acknowledge the fact – that Janoris Jenkins yeah. is good because we've kind of just been glossing over how bad. Like I just I went through how bad the secondary was, and I realized I didn't talk about Jenkins. It's mm-hmm. a very good corner. He can take away one player. There are ten left. The feather in the cap. The the maraschino cherry on top of the the melting depressing Sunday that is the New York Giants. Right. So Alec Ogletree, they trade for him. He's in the second year of a five year extension. He's only a four point seven five million dollar cap hit this year. But with $10 in the dead cap, there's no way he's coming off, right? And then next year, it's an $11.75 million cap hit. Like, that's I, I don't have the numbers in right. front of me. I can guarantee you that's a top 10, top 12 cap hit for interior linebackers. Huge. Like, not edge linebackers. But he, he represents 5.25 dead cap. So that's about 40% dead. Which is, it, that's a difficult, that you, you're close to being able to cut there. You're close, but it's difficult. So maybe you're tethered to him for another one year. And then it, you, all of a sudden, you got only a 3.5 dead cap. So they've got him for at least one more year. But he represents $11.75 million cap hits in 2019 and 2020. So if you're not getting elite linebacker play out of Ogletree, which you're not, then you're overspending on him. 
but it gets better because Mike, they're still paying off the dead cap from Jason Pierre-Paul. Because when they moved him, they had to bring on the rest of the roster bonus, mm-hmm. or excuse me, the signing bonus that he had. You can either give me a, a, a figure in the millions or a percent amount total of cap. How much do you think he represents dead money? 11 million. 15 million. Jeez, wow, it was bigger than it, I thought. It's How? over 8% of their total cap number. That's over 8% of their total cap number. What are they, the Cowboys? Mike, <laughs> about one twelfth, a little bit less, one twelfth of their cap. Is currently being played to Jason Pierre-Paul to play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's so weird, dude. Oh, it's so weird. Like trade back. What are you? What are you? What are you? What are you doing? And and, and who's who's again? Kareem Martin. Okay, Avery Moss. This kid out of Youngstown State. Kerry Wynn. <laughs> and here's the thing about Kareem Martin. Here's the thing. Kareem Martin like isn't garbage, and that's like you can say that about a lot of players on this roster, especially the defense. He's not garbage. It's just yeah. The, the composite is just, like, beige. It's just nothing is going to happen here. Good offenses are going to be able to impose their will on you, which makes us turn to the Giants offense now and say, okay, can they run with the racehorses, right? Can they keep pace? And I know we're very excited, and it's a lot of fun. Oh, Adele and Saquon and Evan Ingram, like, that's one of the best trios in the league. Okay, they have no offensive line, and the quarterback can't get it to them. So let's let's go into the offense because we kind of breeze by them to talk about this awful defense. My God, again, an injury is just going to set this team completely off the rails. They need the best injury luck in the history of the NFL to go six and ten. This offense, obviously, the Barkley is a franchise defining pick, and how the team fares along with his performance and the quarterback situation is going to be very telling in the years to come. He's obviously going to help the passing game. And the Giants should be motivated to get him into space in the passing game on early downs, which is a very underrated tool, not used by a lot of teams when you look at the success rate comparative to what it is on third down. Anyway, you take that into account what the Giants did to try and upgrade their line, which was needed after ranking 17th in pass blocking efficiency, grading 21st in PFF's uh, run blocking metrics. Uh, So they take an underperforming Nate Solder. And they make him the highest paid tackle in the league. And then they Oof. follow dip with a, with a yet yeah, still upsets me. And then they, they make a pick that I like with Will Hernandez in the second round, who's going to be the mauler in the run game for them at guard. And then they add Jonathan Stewart, which who cares, honestly. But really, you look at Solder and you look at Hernandez and you can't say that they aren't at the very least likely upgrades over Eric Flowers and DJ Fluker. Not that it matters with Flowers since he may start on the right side anyway or move into guard. You know what? Who cares? He's bad. There are still holes along this line that you can exploit. And Ben, I think Barkley was an elite prospect coming out. No bones about it. But he struggles to run between the tackles. And it's not his vision. I think he sees it just fine. He has a tendency to try and hit a home run on every play. And while it worked for him a lot in college, those negative plays... The plays where he sees a safety filling a lane and he decides to erroneously take the path of least resistance instead of lowering his power level, harnessing his lower body strength, which he has in spades, and taking on contact to get four yards and keep the offense on schedule. Unless he does that more consistently with a team like this, those negative plays are going to set up the passing game for failure with Eli. And that's a lot on Eli. And you're going to see that offense very wildly in terms of effectiveness due to the feast or famine nature of the run game. But that's my opinion on Barkley. I think he's I think he's going to be very good. 
But but the fact that it's being and we were talking about this earlier today, the fact that they're going to feed him apparently, and this quote came from the Giants, twenty five to twenty seven touches a game, which is over well over four hundred in a season that we don't know if they win a game until week eight. We can't feasibly really see it with any kind of confidence until week eight. You're going to give your rookie running back who are you you putting the franchise on his back. And trying to make it about him instead of Eli because he's terrible. You're giving him 400 plus carries in his rookie season. Well, 400 plus touches. They're not going to tote him 400 times. Yeah, I said carries. I meant touches. Either way, he's he's getting the ball. Mm-hmm. He's going to carry the ball at some point in the play. Ben, don't you play semantics with me. We're trying to crack on the Stay focused. This is an important Stay distinction. Focused. Because what makes Barkley very good is, is the fact that he can get so involved in the receiving game. But here, you want... Uh, have you seen this? These uh, these two quotes from Gellerman, the 2016 and the 2017 quotes okay, on running no. backs. Okay, so 2016, uh, Dave Gellerman is the general manager of the Carolina Panthers, and he drafts Christian McCaffrey. So technically, this is 2017, but whatever. He uh, drafts he Christian says, McCaffrey about 20 spots too high, at least. Right, Go and ahead. he says he says Christian McCaffrey is the greatest between the tackles runner I've seen on tape since Curtis Martin. Oh, now, my, my mom is a Jets fan. And as a little kid, I have some memories of, I think, maybe either watching Curtis Martin highlights or actually watching him. So that, te- that, that tells me that Kurt, Curtis Martin was, was running around maybe the early 2000s, okay? Turn of the century. Yep. One year, fast forward, Dave Gettleman, Saquon Barkley, earned the highest grades of any running back I've ever scouted, touched by the hand of God. So, those two things are not inherently conflicting. No. But we can safely say that Gettleman probably does not have the greatest handle on historical comparisons for the <laughs> running backs that he's evaluating. Would you say that Saquon Barkley is the Mona Lisa of running backs? <laughs> Unless he was so lucky as to draft the two of the greatest running backs he's ever seen in back-to-back years, in which case, what a thrill, what a ride he's on, <laughs> then he's just spewing nonsense, yeah. right? I'm, I, I I don't and like the funny thing is yeah he went out and he signed Jonathan Stewart who was the guy that he drafted Christian McCaffrey the greatest between the tackles runner that he's seen since Curtis Martin to presumably to take some of his touches right mm. but then all of a sudden you know one year removed then you're gonna go bring in Jonathan Stewart in free agency is it's, it's comical is what it really is at the end of the day the literature is very clear it's very very difficult nigh on impossible to be a run first team in today's NFL yeah. You, you need to be able to pass the ball effectively to move the ball effectively. And we can talk about weapons. I think Odell is a top three wide receiver in the league. Evan Ingram was a round one prospect for me last year. I think Evan Ingram is going to be a dangerous, dangerous player. Sterling Shepard is a good slot receiver. He gets a little bit gassed, but he's very effective. Saquon Barkley is going to be a top receiving back in the league from the moment he puts on a Giants jersey. They don't have a quarterback who can do it, which is why... I kind of like, you know, I liked Kyle, Kyle Laletta coming out, Richmond quarterback, and he went there in round four, and I think he's going to be good for Shermer because I think he can distribute the ball a lot more effectively than Eli currently can. But with Eli out there, I do not see this Giants team being a consistent offensive threat. They have weapons, but they do not have protection, and they do not have a good quarterback. Right. Period. Like, we talk about how barely the Jaguars get by with Blake Bortles. Imagine if they didn't have one of the best offensive lines in the AFC. Yeah, I was going right? to say, put the Jaguars line on the Giants, take the Jaguars defense, put it on the Giants. 
Now maybe you're work. You are not working with that right. line and that which, defense. Which, it doesn't work like that. That was that was the situation Eli was in when he won two Super Bowls. Correct. And oh look, Tom Coughlin is in both spots, right? Tom Coughlin's in it because Coughlin knows what he's doing when he's building yep. a roster. And really, I like you know this is off the cuff, but if we talk about Blake Bortles not in the 2017 season, but in the 2016 season. Right where it was that offensive line was not yet at its full capacity. It was a good offensive line, but it wasn't yet there. And then he had like Allen Robinson was still in the building. And then the, you know Jacksonville with Blake, it was constantly saying, "Look, they need to improve on their quarterback if they want to be a dominant team." What did they do? They went out, shore up the offensive line. Uh, the defense continued to get better, and they even lost Robinson. Yeah. So their weapons took a step down because he went down with injury, and they were still able to be successful because every piece around Bortles was able to help him and keep him afloat, and his job is just to not ruin things. You can't look at this roster and tell me that Eli can be a don't-ruin-things quarterback. Yeah. It's not good yeah. enough. Even the offense, with Odell, with Sterling, with Evan, with Barkley, the, the, there's not enough protection. There's not enough time in the pocket. And if you're trying to be a run-first offense, you're going to need your quarterback to make big plays on third down. And I don't think he's going to have the time to do that. Yeah. I really don't. And they lost talent, and they don't have the depth to be able to sustain bad injury luck or even average injury luck. This is, again, just a disaster waiting to happen. And Ben, what if disaster does strike again? What if they go 0-5 again? Over under on the week that Eli Manning gets benched. Let's say they get to week seven. And as we said, we have a very hard time believing that they get a win or especially multiple wins those first seven weeks. When do we see Kyle Laletta? In 2018. Right. Well, it's interesting because we're assuming it's Lauletta and not Davis Webb, which I think is correct. Yeah. And I, I fully, yeah, because Davis Webb isn't good at football. When uh, a, a new coaching staff comes in and when a new front office comes in and they have a quarterback there who is the old administration's yeah. quarterback and he was a third round pick. And in the next draft, they immediately draft a fourth round quarterback that tells you that they're not super, they weren't super huge in the third round quarterback, right? So Davis Webb, probably not the apple of the eye for Pat Shermer. His style of quarterback is much, much, much slower than Lauletta. So that makes sense. With that said, it really depends on how Lauletta performs in camp. Because if Lauletta can push and if Lauletta can make it clear that he deserves to be in front of Webb to the fan base and to the reporters, and he makes it clear that he can be an effective player and he's got something. Well, then you're going to hear the clamoring a lot earlier, especially that offense ineffective. If Lauletta and Webb is kind of a push, if Lauletta's got rookie pains, and if Webb is a second-year player like we anticipate him to be, which is not a very good player, it's going to be tough to justify. I take a look at it. I'm trying to find their bye week. Yeah, I think it's uh, right around San Fran, but quick point to that. I think that Davis Webb is more of a Mike Shula, push the ball downfield type of quarterback, throwing the nine balls that he threw so pretty in college. Mm -hmm. So what I want to see is a gigantic rift in the coaching staff where Pat Shermer's like, well, what is the guy? And Mike Shula's like, no, I, I think that Davis Webb can run this offense more effectively and be more explosive because they are going to have to add, along with Shermer's West Coast concepts, some of Mike Shula's downfield passing. They are going to have to run more play action uh, to, to try to open things up. Who sees, you know, who, who knows how any of that fleshes out. Yeah, I would bet it's on that bye week. You're right, it's before the Giant. It's before the uh the 49ers game, so they're going to be at that point 8 games into the season. Uh, and they'll have their bye week on week 9. Yep. And then I would expect week 10, you'd have a different starter. I I am trying to wrap my head around the idea that anybody would listen to Mike Shula for more than like 2 seconds. <laughs> uh and it's tough for me. It's tough for me to to Look at that organization, man. I I guarantee you someone's listening. Dave is listening. (sighs) He's not not coming into his office with any nerdy, nerdy analytics, man. 
Right. You got time for that. Let's let's hit the last, let's hit the final nail on the head, the final uh, nail of the coffin, as it were. The New York Giants, this is, shout out to Drew Musk, shout out to Justice Muscada, who's the one who found this. Friend of the show. In his betting debauchery and, and, and ridiculousness. <laughs> the New York Giants are more likely to win the Super Bowl than the Dallas Cowboys. Okay. Kansas City Chiefs. Seattle Seahawks, according to Bovada's numbers. Wow. So it, on May on May first, Seattle was plus two thousand eight hundred. Dallas plus three thousand. Kansas City plus four thousand, and then Giants plus seven point five thousand. All right. Today the Giants are three thousand. Dallas is thirty three hundred. KC is thirty five hundred. Seattle six hundred. To 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 reiterate, May first is after the draft. It's on recording. It's May eighteenth. So in the span of two and a half weeks in which there's been essentially no significant player personnel change whatsoever. Right. The Giants have jumped from plus seven, 7,500 to 3,000. Why? I t- Why? They drafted poorly and the lines adjusted positively even after the class was already in place. Yeah. This is this – is, It's shocking. Do you remember that prop bet for the Super Bowl? Where it was like a get in the door type of prop bet, where they said, "How many times is Carson Wentz going to be mentioned in the broadcast?" The and the over under was set at three point five, and I was like, "Are they just giving money away, bro? Like what? <laughs> like yeah, I'll make an account I, for I, that." This like Vegas lines are reliable. I'd like when I looked like for hierarchy, when I looked for power rankings, obviously they have to adjust coming into August and, and right. July and September. They're going to change, but even now, this is egregious. This is shocking. The Giants, we don't think the Giants are going to win more than four games, right? My over-under on the win total for the Giants will be set at 4.5. I was going to say, I was going to ask you, 4.5 over-under, bro. And I think Kansas City is going to win the doggone division. Yeah. The Giants have better odds than Kansas City. That's insane. So that's insane. Absurdity. But yeah, I mean, Mike Clay from ESPN had the Giants picking, uh, I think, fifth overall in the next upcoming draft after he finished all of his uh, projections also, by the way, I've got a breakdown of Mike Clay's projections on BleedingGreenNation.com, seeing how I, what, what I, where I thought he went was too high or too low or some takeaways from that. So go check that out on BleedingGreenNation.com. But look, Mike Clay put them at 6.4, I think, 6.4 projected wins, some, something like that. I think he's way over. I don't think there's any way that this team even sniffs 500, even gets in the realm of possibility of it. And they should be starting a rookie quarterback for the second half of their season. I think that's the only way they start sniffing it. I mean, once you introduce like injuries and like week 17 meaningless games, then maybe they grab one or two. Yeah. But I think their best chance to win will probably be with a different quarterback than Eli. Yeah. That's how I feel. Yeah, I agree. And even that's with a rookie quarterback is, isn't, is not all that sustainable. Not, not with that defense, not with the depth on that defense. Like, like we talked about, man, mm-hmm. but this team is not good. They're not going to be good. And you know what? If I'm wrong, if I'm totally wrong, I'm totally fine with that because I cannot look at this team and go, there is an obvious path for success to go win the NFC East. It will blow my mind, blow my mind completely if they have long-term sustainable success with this formula, with this general manager, with this uninspiring head coach. Pat Shermer inspires me just as much as sobriety inspires me. I am drinking right now. Ben. I love it. (laughs) Do we have anything else on the Giants? What else do we have for the gentle, gentle listeners? What do you want to let them know? Howdy, gentle listeners. Uh, thank you so much, as always, for stopping by to the Kiston Solak Show. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He's been Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. OTAs are coming up. 
So at least that's something that's exciting. <laughs> and we'll be following that into late May and, of course, into June. Uh, I don't think the Eagles made any. No, we already talked about Leroy Reynolds. So that's exciting. Uh, of course, we will be stepping outside of the NFC East, but remaining inside the NFC for our Eye of the Enemy series, uh, which will be next week, likely covering the Minnesota Vikings and the New Orleans Saints. Uh, beyond that, we're working through the dead zone, folks, but we're excited that you're still listening here for BGN Radio. So thank you so much, as always, for stopping by. Yeah, and we are going to be much more positive about some of these teams because they're actually good. And remember, we all we got, we all we need, fly, Eagles, fly. Fly.